Good morning. My name is Ed Graham. I am continuing, uh, I guess you could say, it's okay, Doug, go for it. Uh, I'm continuing what you could call my series in Galatians. Um, let me pray for us, and then we will dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, it is a great and glorious thing to see our children publicly profess faith in you. To see their recognition that they and themselves are not righteous. You demand righteousness, and rightly so. And what you demand, you supply. And so it is a privilege to stand before the people, especially having just witnessed that, and answer the question, how are we righteous? So Father, I pray that you would help me to speak the truth, speak it clearly, speak it convincingly, and that your spirit would empower my words. In the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you would, in your paper or digital Bible, turn to Galatians 3. Give you a second to boot or flip as you need. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it was indeed in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law 
by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give, it a, to give a human example, my brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. He does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance came by law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Yes. And now, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith should be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Next slide. Okay. The context of the book of Galatians is Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Paul had gone through, and they'd preached the gospel. But behind him had come a group that we've come to call Judaizers, okay? And they taught Jesus plus. I unpacked this last sermon. You can find it on the website in February, okay? But the historical context, there's a push for this. There would have been push inside the Jewish community because you've got a mix of Jews and non-Jews. And the Jews, as they start to lose their cultural and ceremonial Jewishness, their non-Christian Jewish friends are going to go, hey, dude, what are you doing eating pork? Um, but there's an external also. The Romans recognized that Jews were a tough lot. And even the ancient Romans, you know, they've been a powerhouse for hundreds of years, looked at Judaism and said, wow, that is an ancient religion. And they recognized, you know what? We can get everybody else to go pay the annual temple tax and worship our emperor and say he's a god, but it is not worth it with the Jews. It's just going to cause a riot. We will give them an exception. Okay? So if you were a Jew, you didn't have to pay the temple tax and you didn't have to worship Caesar if you were a Jew. As Christianity, the way, began to be recognized as distinct from Judaism, that legal protection didn't apply anymore. So if you were sort of Jewish and you didn't want to get separated from your Jewish roots or you didn't want to be persecuted by the external forces, adding a little something to Jesus to still look Jewish had some major pluses. And if you look at the opening of all of Paul's letters, it doesn't matter how messed up his audience is. Read Corinthians. That's a messed up audience. Okay. He starts with this wonderful effusive, oh, I praise God for you. Okay, he gets about three steps into Galatians and he goes, what's wrong with you? Okay, because they're adding something to the gospel. Okay, now, if and you read in Acts 15, you've got the Jerusalem council and they go, look, you don't have to add the law to be a Christian. So if this had already happened, Paul just could have said, hey, we answered this one. Check out the minutes of the menu. Uh, of the meeting, okay? So the fact that he doesn't suggests this is one of our very earliest writings, probably 48 AD, okay? So if somebody wants to tell you, oh, the New Testament, they didn't get around to writing it till 100 AD, uh uh-uh, okay? Context shows this one very early, okay? Next slide, please. So for those of you who like bullet points, Here are my bullet points for those of you who don't need them. No worries. Okay. Next slide. 
So the question today, and the question that Paul is wrestling with, and really just trying to into his audience, because it is so, we are so hardwired to not believe this, is to answer the question, how do you get righteous? So let's, let's I'm going to throw out one Greek word today, dikaios, okay? And think righteous, not self-righteous. If you can in your mind, take everything that comes to mind from our modern culture about being righteous, and let's see if we can just shelve it. And we're going to use dikaios, which means to be right. In its normal usage, if somebody gets taken to court and they're accused of doing something wrong, the judge is supposed to acquit the dikaios, the righteous, because of his dikaiosness. He is righteous. He has righteousness. He is dikaios, so he should be diakosified, okay? He should be recognized as righteous. Now, when the judge says, you're innocent, he dikaiosifies you, did that make you, you were guilty and now you're actually innocent? His job is to recognize an existing state. You were righteous. You didn't do this crime. This is the normal usage of dikaios, okay, in the Greek. And you can see how it maps back into the Hebrew. Okay, remember Solomon blesses the temple, huge temple, and he says, you know, when somebody is accused of a crime, let the judge look at the temple and recognize that he is dikaios. When they translate it into Greek, they use the same word. And dikaios him because of his dikaiosness. Okay, he's right before the law, so the law should recognize him as right and do right. Okay, dikaios. This is the normal use of this word. But here's the trick. Paul is going to say Christ dikaioses the non-dikaios. Okay, and that would be you and me, and that's going to be what this whole passage is about. Okay? Because dikaios is normally set against sin. I promised you only one Greek word, so we're not going to deal with that one. Okay? So it's normally you're either dikaios or you're in sin. That's the normal usage of the word. Okay? Next slide, please. When we pick up, and this is true for all of Paul's letters, Paul is extremely logical and he's sequential in his logic. So when you pick up a passage, you really want to at least do a little bit of business with what came before. And the tail end of the last passage was, the law cannot make you righteous. And so Paul starts this passage with, Christ died. What happened to you guys? I told you Christ died. Now, if you are a new believer, you didn't grow up in the church, you're just exploring this and this is a little strange, the idea that God would die probably strikes you as a little odd, okay? For the rest of us who grew up in the church, we've heard this so long, it doesn't smack us in the forehead and makes it go, okay, God died? And he didn't just die, he died like that? That should be your response, that should be my response. We should be going, whoa, 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 whoa. He, he, they tortured him, they killed him slowly like that, and he, he that was the plan? Okay. Why? That should be our question. You should really ask yourself, why is God 
dying on a log in front of a bunch of Romans and Jews. Why? Because the law cannot make you righteous. Okay, and we'll unpack that some more. Okay? Because if the law could make you righteous, what is the God-man, Jesus Christ, doing getting killed on a tree for you? Big question mark, okay? If you think the law can do it, this should be a big question mark. Next slide, okay? Faith, so now we're in Galatians 2 through 9, faith, not works of the law, okay? Receiving the Spirit is a mark of adoption, okay? Now we, one of the things I have been blessed by in my old church in Chengdu, and now here among friends, I am blessed to see so many people adopt. And many people choose to adopt from another country or another race. And so, some people you adopt and you could go, I can't tell which one of these kids is yours. A Chinese friend of mine adopted a Chinese kid. Most people don't know his son is adopted, okay? Others of you have chosen to adopt from a totally another continent. And when I see your family, I don't wonder which one of your kids are adopted, okay? It is a beautiful thing that you have grafted them into your family, okay? And so I don't have to look for an adoption certificate. I go, oh, that one's adopted, okay? But every single one of us, if you are in Christ, you have an adoption certificate, and it is the Holy Spirit. Okay, that is a visible statement of a spiritual reality. And we come from different traditions. Some of our traditions would say grace is actually conferred in that process, and others would say it's just a symbol of a spiritual reality. But that is a public statement of the spiritual reality that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Okay, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Do you do enough good works? Okay, because if so, I'm way behind Robin Hill. Okay. Do you keep the law? Do you show up to church on time? Oops, I have kids now. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. Um, okay. If you're trying to punch the star chart in your Sunday school, nothing against star charts. Not going to make you, it's not going to dechiosify you. Okay. So how do you get the Spirit? You believe. And here, cultural understanding gives a wonderful extra little punch here. In the classical Near East, down payments were in kind with final payments. If I were buying your field and I was supposed to pay you in wheat, I would pay you wheat now, more wheat later. If I paid you for something with oxen, I paid oxen now, more oxen later. God has guaranteed that he's going to finish what he started with you, and his down payment is himself. That means the rest of the payment is more of God. Okay, and, you know, a lot of you guys are in business. What happens if you put down a deposit but you don't finish the contract? You lose your deposit, 
Anybody want to wager God loses the Holy Spirit by putting a deposit down where it doesn't belong? Anybody? Yeah. You've been listening to Rick, okay? Trusting God is wise. It's not a gamble, okay? The faith of Abraham. Abraham heard the gospel preached. Let that land on you for just a little bit. Paul is saying, Abraham heard the gospel preached. Did he hear it as clearly as you and I get to hear it? No. No, he saw it dimly through a foggy, steamed up shower, you know, piece of glass. But all the saints of the Old Testament are grafted into the body of Christ the same way you and I are, by faith. Okay? That means none of them got in by works of the law. Okay? Your righteousness, my righteousness, is like Abraham's. It's by faith. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Next slide, please. Thank you. Okay. Cursed for us. Christ became a curse for those under the curse, okay? Have you kept the law? I mean, let's, okay, most of us don't come out of a Jewish background, couldn't even come close to listing all the legal requirements. What about the Ten Commandments? How are you doing on that one? And if you think you're doing pretty good, let me reference the Sermon on the Mount. You might have been here for it. Okay, Jesus' unpacking of all the implications of, the, of just that part of the law. Okay, you got to do all of it. If you want to stand before God and say, give me what you owe me and have it not be hell, you got to get it all right. Okay, a little secret, might be a surprise, not to my wife. Um, I ain't doing so good. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, and you aren't either. The law says, do it, and gives you neither hands nor feet. Okay? Faith says, he did it. Therefore, where he calls me, I will follow. So, some of you are here in Beijing. You're learning to eat strange food. So, some of you are here in Beijing, and it's a home you've left. Okay? Obedience is the natural reaction, but it is not the foundation of your acceptance. It is the response. Cursed for the cursed. He redeemed us by being cursed so that the promised Holy Spirit could be received by faith. Okay, redeemed. You have a debt. You owe. You owe big. It's got to be paid or you're paying it yourself. And I promise you, you do not want to pay this debt. Okay? A curse. Why? If you're guilty of breaking some of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. You do great and you flub up once and you're under a curse. His curse. Okay? God, man, Jesus Christ, fully perfect, no mistakes. How's he getting cursed? In the Old Testament, it says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. The one who had no reason to be cursed put himself in a position to be cursed so that the punishment that rightly falls on me and you 
fell on him. Why? There was a promise to Abraham. Be a blessing to the nations. Okay, just out of curiosity, is anybody here actually of a Jewish background? Okay, we got two. You guys have some right to be here, humanly speaking. The rest of us are all orphans that got adopted in. And the basis of our adoption was Christ paying the price. But just in case you think your Jewishness might give you any standing, I recommend Romans 1 through 3. Paul thoroughly dismantles that. You're in the same boat with the rest of us. Sorry. Okay. And notice, okay, a little Bible quiz. Which came first, Abraham or Moses? Abraham. Abraham came first, 430 years ahead of time. He got a promise that they were going to be righteous by faith, okay? So man-made covenants don't get rewritten, okay? That's Paul's argument. How much less God's covenants, okay? The promised offspring is Christ. It predates the law of Moses. If the inheritance came by law, what's Christ doing on a tree? But it is by promise, okay? Cautionary warning against cheap grace here. Nothing in this passage is about the cost of discipleship, but I would hate to leave you thinking it's cheap. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, and I don't want to preach anything like cheap grace. But today's sermon is about how you get righteous, not what you do in response to that. Okay. Next slide, please. Okay. This is a helpful tool so that when you see law and go, what should my response to law be? Okay. There are three uses of the law. One is teacher. Okay. And this, I think, is what Paul is emphasizing, particularly here. Some people make, put teacher and moral together. They just treat them as two uses of law. I, not a big deal, okay? But the teaching function is to say, God is holy, you are not. And there is a huge gap, or, you know, your handout might go this way, okay? But there's a gap. You're over here, he's over there, big hole in the middle, and you don't have the means to get across. Luther in his Galatians commentary, highly recommend it. I'll give you a QR code at the end. I'm getting high tech. Um, says, the role of the law is to terrify the unrepentant sinner. If you're bowing up and saying, I'm all that, look at the law. It should scare you to tears. Okay? Another use of the law is civil. Okay? We live in a fallen world, and laws restrain the undikaios. They might want to go steal your stuff, crash into your car, whatever, and knowing that there is law and consequences allows some measure of imperfect justice while we wait for the final perfect justice. And then there is the moral component of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, 
could you chop it up into finer steps for me? Take a look at the law. Don't steal his stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a little finer grain. I, that, that helps. Okay? It's not intended to make you righteous. It's intended to show you what that looks like. Okay? And uh, Calvin would say the moral use of the law is the highest use. The teacher and the civil, those exist because we live in a fallen society, a fallen place with, with sin. But the moral reflects God's character. What does it look like to love? Okay. Next slide, please. So why the law? Well, because of sin. Um, is he talking the moral law or the ceremonial law? Honestly, I couldn't really sort it out. Sometimes it means, seems like he's saying one. Sometimes he seems like he's saying the other. But the thing is, the ceremonial law contains a whole lot of moral law. So somebody more nuanced than I am will slice it thinner than I will. But why the law? Well, okay, we've got sin. We've got to deal with sin. And so these three uses of the law gives us some categories. How do I use the law? If I think I'm righteous in myself, the law should terrify me and drive me to Christ. If I'm asking how do I love my neighbor or how do I pay my taxes, you know, can inform those as well. Okay. But notice, he says, you know, it was put in place by an intermediary, but notice, God is one. The law is not a cosmic, oops, I'll fix that later. Okay, I think very often, as us New Testament people, it's very easy for us to look at the law and go, that was a divine oops. God really didn't mean the law. He doesn't use it. It has no use anymore. And I, Paul is not going there. Okay. Is the law against the promise? He promised Abraham, I'm going to make you righteous by faith, and I'm going to give you offspring. Is that, is it broken? Are they, are they in conflict? No. Illustration. Okay, I'm a total gearhead, so people who know me won't laugh that I have a, a wrench on my person. I usually take it off when I preach, but it's an illustration, so I'm allowed to have it. Okay, this is a fantastic wrench, German company. Okay, it's a great wrench. It's really light, very versatile, mechanical uh, advantage for you mechanical engineering types. Okay, now, would you move the mic for me, Steve? Move the Yeah. Sorry about that, Steve. Yeah, it's not. I'll try not to break the AV equipment. It's not the job, job of the law to make you righteous. It never was. Okay. It's to point you to the one who will. Next slide. 
Um, so you have a choice. You can try to be righteous by the law, and we should have hammered that one and said, nope, that one's not going to work. Or you can try faith. Faith, before faith, we were captives. We were under the law. After faith, we are sons and daughters. Okay, quick word about gender-inclusive language. Much of the use of the word son, sons, here, ladies, here, daughter, too. Okay, the usage at that time, are you going to come get my wrench? Okay, thank you, buddy. Will you take that back to mommy? Appreciate that. Okay, but there's a certain, certain places where the word son should be understood as masculine because it specifically refers to Christ. But where you see sons, plural, please, sisters, include yourself. Okay. Okay. So, there is no distinction. So, let me hit my ushers up uh, there behind the AV table. Um, head over there and, and hand those out. Okay. There is no distinction. Okay. Okay. With accepting our two sisters, we're all Greek. So, let me bring it home. There is no expat. There is no Chinese. There is no boss, there is no subordinate, there is no male, there is no female. We are all one in Christ. Okay, hand those out quickly, please. Quickly. Yep, there you go. Okay, so I want to try and illustrate this. Okay, so take one and pass the rest. Yes, thank you, volunteers. They only found out I was going to ask this this morning. Okay, so take one and pass the rest. Okay. Now, what I would like you to do is when you get a mask, put it on your face. Hopefully, the eye holes are in the right spot. Okay. Now, stand up and look around. What do you see? Okay, as we get, get these handed out, you're going to see less and less differences, right? You don't see the president of that and the CEO of that, the embassy official there, the domestic worker there. What do you see? Okay. Everybody who got baptized today made a public profession that I am not going to rely on my righteousness. When God sees me, I'm going to trust the righteousness of Christ because I am an adopted heir through the work of Christ. Okay? Thank you. You may sit down. If you want to keep that, you may. Otherwise, on the way out, on the little table back there, stack it up and I'll get them recycled. Don't want to burn, tear up a lot of trees needlessly. Okay? Next slide. So, then the question becomes, are you an heir? Okay? There's two, two things we want to unpack because of their cultural baggage. One is guardianship, and one is Roman adoption. Guardianship in Rome until specifically boys, but until they came of age, they were no different from a slave in the household. 
there was a senior manager called a guardian, typically a slave, who ran the house. All the other slaves in the house, all the children in the house reported to the slave. Now, I am not defending slavery. I'm just describing a cultural reality. So, slave, heir of the father, the paterfamilias. It's not Greek, it's Latin. I'm allowed to use it. Okay? Head of the family, the paterfamilias. Everybody in that family is under him. He's the number one. This guardian is number two. So, everybody is under the guardian. Now, dad, son. Okay? If I had a guardian... Edward, my son, is my heir, along with Andrew, okay? But this guardian is going to tell Edward what to do. Until the day I say, Edward, you are now a man. And now this guardian, this law that could tell, and, and literally law is in, in, is, is in you know, the, the manager, the house law, okay, that was telling my son what to do yesterday, all of a sudden became my son's property, okay? You're under a law. There's a guardian. When you become an heir, you are no longer under that person. They're your property. It's a total role reversal, okay? So that's guardianship and coming of age. Roman adoption there's debates among scholars about whether we should looking at, be looking at Hebrew or Greek or Roman. Consensus seems to be that Roman adoption is the norm culturally that Paul is, is using. He's writing to a Roman city-state. We'll go with Roman. As somebody pointed out a few weeks ago, uh, well, we'll get there. You could put your son up and have them adopted by another family. And when you did, a couple things happened. They, their status changed, okay? So if Rick adopted my son, my son would no longer be named Edward Graham. He'd be Edward Lehman, you know, in the Roman convention, okay? Everything that my son owned would fall under Rick as the paterfamilias. But any debts my son owed, they are severed they don't follow him. Okay? Now think about that. So, when you are adopted by God, your debts, you don't, they, you don't carry those with you. Your assets, they do come with you in Roman adoption. Um, but again, read Romans 1 to 3 if you think you're bringing any assets into this relationship. But your debts, they are severed. They do not belong to you because you have a new name, you have a new father, you have a new family. And one of the things that I think was very powerful that was brought up a few weeks back is once a boy was adopted into a family, he could never be disowned. Now just take a deep breath. In Christ, you can never be disowned. In Christ, you can never be disowned. In Christ, you can never be disowned. And you're going to say, okay, but Ed, um, you weren't walking around with me. You weren't on my shoulder last week. You weren't in my head last week. In Christ, you can never be disowned.
Next slide. So Christ was crucified. That was the price that had to be paid to see you and I brought in. Our righteousness is like that of Abraham. It is a gift. It's by faith. It's not by works. Christ accepted the full punishment that is your just due. God does not practice injustice. You can have justice. You can have mercy. Nobody gets injustice. The law, it exists to terrify you in your self-righteousness and drive you to a loving, gracious Savior. So I greet you, those of you who are in Christ, as fellow heirs, brothers, sisters, adopted into the kingdom. You cannot be disowned. Uh, next slide. Do I have another slide on that one? Okay. And I think there's one with a QR code after that. Oh, pause there, please. Sorry, back up one. Okay. So, as you consider takeaway points, what? let me just illustrate some of mine. Questions that I ask myself when I try to prepare a, a sermon. Okay. So, what is it that, I, that describes me here, okay? Am I striving to be right in my own power? Oh, yeah. Am I trying to add to my salvation? Yep. Do I think I need to repent daily? Mm, nope. Do I think my skills background, whatever, should give me some extra leg up in the kingdom? Maybe. Do I think I'm better than others? Oh, yeah. Do I wonder, do I really, is it really, did he really pay it all? I mean, you sure there's not some space for me to add something? I mean, come on, I mean, I ain't that bad, am I? Yes, yes you are. Um, okay. And that's why there's that. A physical, public display of I will no longer stand on my own. I will no longer parade my own righteousness, my own attempts to make myself worthy. And I will put on Christ. And I will accept his righteousness.